Hello, welcome everybody. Yes, I have live episode 234. It is, what is it? It's Wednesday. It's Wednesday, January 2nd, uh, February 2nd, 2022. If you look at it, if you write it out, it actually looks pretty cool. To, to 2022. I actually saw that this morning and uh, excited me. And um, I'm joined here by Dan Dixon here in a few short seconds. He's already sitting across from me. He's here in the studio. And I'm really excited that we're doing more uh, in-studio interviews. It's fantastic to chat. We just had a bit of a small talk here beforehand. It's just great to have somebody in front of you and not just sitting on a screen. Um, we're going to talk about silver, silver production, silver or inflation in the silver spaces, inflation, cost pressures. Uh, but we're also going to talk guidance, M&A. There's so many topics. I think I'm going to have Dan here for at least two hours. I threatened him. Yeah. Just kidding. Just kidding, Dan. Just, uh, we'll, we'll, stick to, we'll try to stick to the 20, 25 minute uh, rule here. But uh, so much to talk about. I'm excited to have him here. And before we dive into the conversation, please be reminded to follow us here on YouTube, follow us on Twitter, hit the like and subscribe button, of course, share the video with your friends and fellow investors. It really helps with the algorithm and helps that more people see it. Really appreciate it. And as you know, we do all these interviews live, so you can hear it straight from the CEOs. But uh, now let's switch over to our guest and our CEO. And uh, Dan, it's great to have you on. Thanks for joining us here in the studio. Happy to be here. I appreciate you guys having us on. And ultimately enjoy getting out and seeing people face to face. Yeah, it's the first time we're meeting as well. And I have to say there's a lot of positive energy in town this week. Uh, Roundup is happening. Uh, lots of meetings. My schedule is jam packed. I think we got two more SF lives actually happening here in the studio today, which oh, I'm fantastic. really excited about. Uh, but also the floor seems busy down uh, downtown and lots of meetings happening in town. So well, it's good. It's good for Vancouver. It's good that conferences kind of get going. I know it's a hybrid event, but ultimately having some bodies in the, in the building helps and always improves kind of the uh the atmosphere and ultimately kind of brings some vibrance back to the city and into the space exactly and it, it's it, it needed it as well so quite happy to see it but but then your first time on the program um on sf live why don't you quickly introduce endeavor silver i don't think it needs a lot of introduction but uh why don't you give us a quick 30 second 60 second pitch and yeah the we'll 30 seconds pitch on endeavor we're a primary silver producer i mean there's not a lot of us around anymore a lot of the silver guys moved into gold and uh, we're b primarily based in Mexico. We do have a little bit of exploration in the United States and in Chile as well. We're, we're obviously headquartered here in Vancouver. Uh, we've been around for 15 years. We're, I'd say we're experts in underground vein mining. and We're coming to an important transition for the company. We've had two assets, basically Guanacivi and Bolonitos have been around with us now for 15 and 14 years respectively. And we're pushing on our Terranera asset to come to a development decision, which we're working on financing. And we've a recent acquisition and trying to build out our portfolio so lots happening lots going on and we're excited about what's coming over the next four to five years fantastic yeah it's like it's the first time we're meeting as well yeah uh, i know your predecessor quite well brett cook uh he sort of stepped down as chair i think he's the chairman now of the company he's still a chairman, like, yeah. why don't you quickly introduce yourself as well like you've been with a company for quite a while yeah yeah um my background is i'm an accountant by trade which a lot of people are actually quite surprised about um i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing but uh <laughs> I joined Brad and Endeavor Silver back in 2007, actually, and I came in as controller. I spent a year uh, as controller, and ultimately in that time in the mining space, if you were a warm body, we, we could have used you, right? And yeah. uh, A year later, fast forward, I got moved into the role of interim CFO, and I think the running joke around there is I was interim CFO for the next 13 years. <laughs> I always said to Brad, I'd become interim CEO one day, and ultimately... With uh, him wanting to move off, he's still involved. He still comes in one or two days a week. He's involved with his other companies. He's a geologist by trade, and he'll do it till he's until he's ultimately under the under under the ground. And he loves that stuff. 
Um, and it's great having him. So I can ask him questions and kind of lean on him on certain aspects, and especially from a corporate de development standpoint in geology. Um, but it was always a plan that I would take over. And I think over the last two years, we kind of transitioned that well and uh, announced it in May of 2021. And it's been almost a year now. So um, the strategy is not going to change overall, really, for Endeavor. We're primary silver producer and we want to maintain that lane. Uh, but ultimately, Brad and I are different. Right. I have a different personality and probably a couple of the little things I would do differently, but the overall strategy would be similar. Yeah. Well, it's obvious that the company's going through a transition, more or less. You've closed one mine, you've sold another, you just bought a big asset. Um, let's recap the last 12 months. And, uh, like, and yeah, yeah, it's been a great 12 months, so to speak. I mean, there's ups and downs, the normal ebbs and flows of any mining company and any business for that matter. But uh, yeah, when I took over, uh, we made the decision in early uh, 2021, we cl actually closed Kubo. So when Brad was still CEO, we made the decision to sell Kubo, uh, which was an asset we acquired in 2012. And it was probably about 30 to 40% of our production at any given time. Um, we exhausted resources and ultimately put that into Vanguard, which is now called Guanajuato Silver. You can um, pronounce it well. Yeah. Every, everybody else seems to be stumbling. It's just G Silver for everybody yeah, else. Eh? Yeah, they market it that well using G Silver. It makes it a little easier. But for Guanajuato Silver, they're doing well. We're still one of their largest shareholders. I think we own 12, 12.5% of their company. And we want to see them do well. And with that, we kind of had Guanajuato And Guanajuato we've acquired some new concessions over the last couple of years and made some discoveries and continue to push that on. And ultimately, in 2021, we did 8.3 million silver equivalent ounces. And uh, it was good growth, but we had an asset in there called El Compass. It's something we put into production in 2019. It was 250 tons per day. We made the decision to close that asset. And ultimately, it took the same amount of management time and kind of effort for something that was effectively 10% of our production in 2020 and 5% of our production last year. Um, but ultimately, the biggest story about Endeavor is our Terranera project in the state of Lisco. It's underground vein mining, just like Guanajuato and Bolanitos. We delivered a feasibility study last year, July of 2021, and we've advanced that, continued to advance it. We approved a budget last year, almost $22 million to advance it. Uh, we have an $11 million budget for the first quarter of this year to continue to advance it. And what ultimately will give us our development decision is a financing package in place. So. We've been working with banks, um, trying to get that completed here in Q1 of 2022, and ultimately will will uh, will be the future of Endeavor. Okay, let me, let me jump into your rails with just a couple follow-up before we get uh, too, yeah, too for far sure. carried away, because with a producer, we could talk for hours. It's awesome. Um, to Terno, you, you mentioned financing package. Yep. Um, so it made, made me think, because apparently you have $110 million in working capital. Um, that's what I gathered from the Pitaria release that you're going to use quite a bit of your cash to buy. Why do you need a financing package and what, what is that going to look like? Yeah, well, Terranera for us will double our production, cut our cost profile in half and ultimately it has a $175 million initial capex. So the numbers that you kind of throw from Q3, and I got to be careful here with Q4 coming out in, in a couple of weeks. Q3, we had over $100 million of cash and close to $150 million in working capital when you take in the bullion that we had carried at costs on our balance sheet as opposed to fair market value. So with $175 million of CapEx, we don't want to drain completely drain our cash. We do have cash flow coming from Guanajuato and Bolanitos, but we think we're at the point of the evolution of our own company and our life cycle that it makes a lot of sense to bring on some debt. So I've been working with some groups, uh, your normal commercial bank lenders, project loan financing, 80 to $100 million is what we're trying to put in. So with that 80 to 100, 
that gets us over that threshold of having $175 million available to us. And at that point, the board will give us a, an Thumbs approval. Up. Thumbs up. Fantastic. Yeah. Qu question, like I'm not sure if you can answer it, but uh, I I'm a proponent of taking on debt right now. It's a low debt, uh, interest rate environment. Debt shouldn't be too expensive. Can you give me an idea of what you'd be roughly looking at interest rate wise? Just, just an yeah, idea. Because it, 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 absolutely, I have no problem with that. I, I, we're looking at probably a LIBOR four, plus four to five percent. So yeah. it makes nothing but sense for a company our size if we can get that executed and done. And yeah. like I say, hopefully we have a commitment here in the next uh, couple of weeks, and then we can announce that yeah. to the market and ultimately the the decision to advance yeah. Terranera to. To, yeah. to construction and ultimately yeah. production. Yeah, it, it just proves my point. I think I've been making it before as well. Like I want Barrick and the others to take on debt right now. It's cheap debt. It is like, cheap debt. I think in the mining space, you have to be careful. It's, it's a prudence, right? Like too much debt can get you in trouble. And we know the ups and downs in the mining space. I mean, you can't ask for bigger volatil volatility when it comes to silver too, yeah. right? So we want to be careful with it as best we can. We're good. I'm fine with having covenants in place. It creates a little bit of... Um, discipline within the company that allows us to manage that properly and it's it's like i say the evolution of any company it's how much you're willing to take on how much risk you're willing to take on and be able to understand what happens in the mining space not over one or two years but ultimately a long life of a longer there. period yeah. yeah fantastic no that makes sense we got sidetracked a little bit talking about terra yeah fantastic. sorry yeah um so let's stick on that stay on that for just another second to, to wrap it up Development timeline. Uh, timeline. Let's say, let's say you have the package and the financing package. Yeah, sounds like two weeks, three weeks and now away. Like little bit more it's, that, it's mining. Let's yeah. let's make it six weeks. Yeah. Um. But what what does it look like after that? Like how? Yeah, it's a two year build cycle. We've got that built in. We've got contingencies and timeline put into that. And so our what we're saying publicly is that we want to be in production at Terranera in H one twenty twenty four. Yeah. Okay. Um. Feasibility study was out last year. Okay, so inflation pressures are looming everywhere. We've seen cost overruns at Ascot, Marginos, Argonauts is exploding. Um, yep. How are you factoring that in? Yeah, obviously when we put <clears throat> put together the the feasibility study, it started. It was kind of percolating into the space. Uh, ultimately, we're a little bit lucky in the sense that we had already um, ordered our mobile fleet. So some of that arrived in December. Some more is arriving in March. We actually have a ball mill sitting in a warehouse already yeah. in in Puerto Verta, which is an hour and a half away from the project. So we've been slowly and methodically moving things ahead. Now, of course, um, our diesel costs are gonna be up, uh, labor costs are gonna be up. All that stuff is our job to manage. And, and there's a gentleman we brought into the company in uh, 2020 as our COO, his name's Don Gray, who's come from building effectively in Guatemala, the Escobar mine for Tahoe at the time. Then he moved to Colombia, working on the Barraquita mine for Continental Gold, uh, and then moved to us. So we built out almost 48 people to be able to manage this and, and think we have the right groups in place. But of course, um, inflation is here and we're seeing it. It's pretty persistent. It's us managing it. Like I say, we've just been lucky that we've been able to execute on some things early to be able to lock some prices in. So you, you sounds like you're really confident to keep it to the 175 million to keep it constrained there. Contingency I'm optimistic. Might cover that. Yeah. I'm optimistic. There is contingency, of course, in that 175 million, and ultimately, it's going to be the timeline. If we can stay within that two-year timeline, I think we'll be able to be closer to the 175. But I'm very cognizant of what's happened in the mining space, even historically, what you look at compared to initial estimates of what it's going to cost to build mines versus where they actually end up being. And there's changes you make over time. The feasibility study is not our final plan. We have things that we think can improve Terranera. 
Um, it might end up costing a little bit more to put certain things in, but based on where prices are, or what we see the further work that we've done, it might make sense. So we'll look at that and we'll advise the marketplace as it's happening, of course. As a follow-up to that, any like bottlenecks that you can de-bottleneck in, in, that, in that regard? Like anything, you, you, you hinted improvements to the feasibility yeah, study? Yeah, we've been working on de-bottlenecks. So we actually put out a PFS, a pre-feasibility study back in 2018, and then another one actually in 2020. So we've actually been doing a lot of our de-bottlenecking. Right now, the biggest thing is power. So we're looking at LNG and CNG as a, a form of power and, and not relying on the state grid, um, partly because of timeline to get on the grid. And dealing with Mexican government and CFE, and we'll have a little bit more control if it's LNG or CNG. But that's the biggest bottleneck for us, and we're going to make a decision on that, uh, which avenue to go down here in this quarter as well. And what's the cost difference? Just curious. Going down uh, that rabbit hole for yeah, a second. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it can be a rabbit hole. To be honest, there's not a lot of cost cost difference. It's more, and there is. There's small ones, and we kind of balance the cost benefits of each. LNG, we're looking at 12 cents per kilowatt hour versus 8 cents, but then it's looking at your upfront costs as well and factoring all that in. So um, there's a lot of factors that go into it, and we're kind of going through the pros and cons of each, and then we'll make a decision. All right, now I'm going really down a rabbit yeah. hole. Like I've just read one of the mining companies putting in EV trucks and all that. Like How is that renewable energy factor in, or EVs and BEVs and all that? Yeah, so with underground vein mining, it's a little bit more difficult because you got to have a big infrastructure of Wi-Fi underground. And for the scale that we do at Guanas to News, the scale that Terranera will be, it's only 1,700 tons per day. I think all that... Uh, EV and, and automation works for some of the bigger operations and one day they'll work for the smaller operations but we're not there yet the cost benefit for us it doesn't work now of course we're looking at anything that we can do that's sustainable and long term um, and one day maybe we're there and so I, I hope that comes and uh, I expect we'll take advantage of it if we can okay fantastic good, good luck with that let's uh, let's circle back I want to talk a little more 2021 um, Q4 numbers you said are not out yet so no um, Q4 numbers are out Oh, okay. Because you were just talking about cash and you. Yeah. So, sorry. Our Q4 production numbers are out. So Those are our 8.3 okay. million. The yeah. financial information comes out uh, early March. Because okay. I just want to follow up like costs. Like, how. Because like, I want to catch that inflation conversation. Like, one circle over okay. there slowly, segue into that. But uh, talk about like, okay, so 8.3 million. Cash costs, all in sustained costs. Have, have those numbers been put out? They have not been put out. Okay. They'll come out in March. Okay. Perfect. But what are you seeing, like inflation wise, like cost wise, like. Yeah, you where's can, the biggest pressures coming from? You, you mentioned labor and yeah. um, probably oil and gas, like gas prices. Yeah, for us, it's not diesel prices so much because we're underground vein mining. So okay. where our bigger power costs is electricity and running the plants. And we've absolutely seen kilowatt hour costs go up significantly, almost 40% last year, start to, uh, from January to December. Labor costs are also going up. And I think that's ultimately the inflation that we're seeing. So we're getting pressure from our 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 labor to effectively be able to have a cost of living that makes sense to them as well. Uh, you're also seeing the mining space pick up. So you're seeing geologists, the professionals, engineers, all cost more from a time standpoint. Um, global supply constraints, making sure we can get cyanide. Cyanide, we saw a big cost increase last year. Um, that's ultimately we secured cyanide in Mexico, whereas previously we'd uh, sourced it out of the United States. Uh, so th a lot of things, it's not one thing in particular. It's kind of the cuts by a thousand, or yeah. death by a thousand cuts, so to speak. Um, and it, it's there. And ultimately, we even coming into 2022 and putting out our guidance. So we put out 22 guidance, uh, $9 to $10 cash costs, all in sustaining costs, $20 to $21. 
which is on the high side of our space, but ultimately reflects that inflation that we saw in 2021 and try to build that into our 2022 costs. Now, let's see where we end up. Our estimates historically have always been relatively good, but we haven't been in this type of environment. Like we are seeing inflation, not just in the mining sector, but across all businesses and for all consumers. So um, we'll see where we end up at the end of this year. It's difficult to hedge labor costs, obviously, but uh, how about your your energy input costs and things like that? Are you doing some hedging there? Like silver price hedging is also tricky. I'm not a big fan of it personally, but like input costs, like how can you hedge that? Yeah, there are certain things that you can. And for us with power costs, we don't. It's 12% of our overall costs. Our largest cost because it's underground vein mining is actually labor. So 33% of our cost is labor. And then again, 12% power is our second largest cost. And that's about 12% of it. Um, as far as supplies and, and, and hedging that stuff, it's very difficult. The only main one would be power. Uh, and we haven't for this year. Um, ultimately, everything that we buy is through the power grid. Um, so it's it, about 12% of our costs being uh, power costs. Uh, 11.5% of that's coming right from CFE, the electrical commission. So Gotcha. Um, you're, you're holding back quite a bit of silver. You're sitting about roughly on a million ounces of silver, yep. only a thousand ounces of gold, which we can drop off the wayside. But what's the goal? Like, what's the idea behind it? Like, yeah. a million ounces is not in the overall scheme of things, not market moving. No, it's not market moving, um, and it's more taking advantage of what the current market was at the time. So when we start holding back our our silver sales, ultimately silver was going from about twenty six dollars to twenty two, and that drive from twenty six to twenty two. Uh, ultimately happened right at the end of the quarter. And so we made the decision, look, we're not going to sell into a falling knife uh, and ultimately held that. And it came back nicely. We sold a lot at 24. And then again, it, it fell back down to 22. And again, we, we held back sales. It's to take advantage of certain, certain ebbs and flows, your normal volatility in the marketplace. Not that we have this long term, we're not going to sell it. We have use for that cash with yeah. Terranera, as I, as I mentioned. Um, so it's short-term strategies of selling metal and nothing more than that. Okay, so we're going to see that flow out next quarters? Like- Probably see it flow out here in 2022. Okay, that makes sense. Perfect. Well, you, you mentioned 22 guidance. Um, you want to run us through it? Like, what's it going to look like? What's going to come from where and how much? Yeah, I mean, we're pretty steady state now as a company. Guanasi, we've had 15 years. Abolino's 14 years. Um, we've got a nice life in front of us. Guanasi this year... Uh, it's going to be about 70% of our production, um, maybe, yeah, 70% in Balnido's, the remaining 30%. And between the two, we're going to do about 7.3 million silver equivalent ounces. So that's broken down between silver and gold. We don't have any base metals. Um, ultimately, it's 33,000 ounces of gold and 4.3 million ounces of silver that we're going to produce. And compared to 2021, it's slightly lower. I think we always are relatively conservative in our, our guidance. Juana Civi had a great year in 2021 from a grade standpoint. We've, we've got high grades again in 2022, just slightly lower than 2021. And then El Compass, the mine that we closed in August of 2021, that amounted to about 400,000 ounces silver equivalent. Well, that's come off. So there's a slight contraction in our production, but it's like I say, hopefully we can beat uh, our midpoint or even get to the upper end of our guidance for 2022. And 2021, we actually revised our guidance upwards and once and then ultimately beat that so our original guidance in 2021 was 7.5 million ounces and we ended up doing 8.3 okay fantastic all right so setting the bar a little higher there and uh yeah that's not not too bad but let's talk about growth okay so yeah. going going back to the growth rate you've just made a couple of acquisitions in the last 12 months so 
uh, you bought something in, in Nevada, yep. but also you bought something else in Mexico. So yes. I'm not sure where to start, to be quite honest, because Nevada is throwing me a bit of a curveball because um, it's a gold project yep. in Nevada. And uh, you, you made a statement in one of the press releases. Is like, it's a good start on building an attractive gold and silver portfolio in Nevada. That sounds like there are bigger plans that, and uh, bigger things at work. You want to run us through it and the rationale behind buying, buying Bruner? Yeah, Bruner for us, um, we love it. We love the project. Ultimately, it has a historical resource on it for 300,000 ounces of gold plus 13 million ounces of silver. And we picked it up for ultimately $10 million. And based on what we saw in the marketplace, um, we thought it was us being very opportunistic. And a little of the history is there is the company that we bought it from, uh, exploration company, done a good job building out that resource. And what's probably more spectacular for an exploration company is they're able to put debt on their books. When you put debt on your books and you don't have revenue, it makes it very difficult to service that debt sometimes. Can I jump in real quick? Didn't they yeah. try to sell a, a coin on that they or also, something? They, yeah, okay. okay. They also, not only did they put debt on it, then they also sold uh, what they tried to say was a crypto coin supported by what the ounces were in the ground. I don't know how well that worked for them. And we helped them clean that up. Um, so we can make sure that the asset wasn't encumbered. And then ultimately they still have their debt issues and they need to pay off their debt. So we think we are in the right place at the right time and probably more opportunistic with Bruner and what we could do with there. Subsequently, we've built up, uh, our, got our guys on the ground and we have, we're defining where we're gonna drill for 2022. We do have a budget there for this year. Uh, we expect to define that historical resource and then there's some targets there as well and silver and gold targets um and then ultimately with having a kind of a footprint now in nevada looking for other projects in the similar area of walker lane that we can build in there and build some economies of scale so uh we were excited about bruner and we still are and it's still in our exploration plans but it's a long ways away to be in a production asset and um, I'm sure when you said, hey, we'd had two acquisitions over the last 12 months, the other one that's come on is Pitteria. And oh, we, can, can I stop you? We are excited about Pitteria. Okay. So. Just, just real quick, what's the budget for, for Brunner this year? Yeah, it's about a million, million, half dollars. I think it's 1.5 million. Okay, gotcha. All right, let's put a bow around it and uh, let's put that in a future talk. We'll chat about it yeah. in a couple months or in a couple of years again. So. Oh, we will. Hopefully, we talk about it by the end of this year again. I don't. I don't think it gets pushed off. It's just that. Bruner for us has got a ways to go and we have other exploration assets like Peral that we've put out good drill results on. We have almost 40 million ounces defined, trying to get to 60 million. But like you say, there's another asset here I'm sure you're gonna exactly. ask about me yeah, right now. Yeah, I was now. like, I'm gonna lead into that. And uh, your, your PowerPoint presentation, a line in there says it's significant organic growth. And yeah. now we're gonna talk about the second asset you acquired, yeah. which is not a granted growth because you growth by acquisition. So yeah. you wanna run us through the rationale behind that and then we, of course, get into the details yeah very similarly i mean it, we we have historically grown organically and by the drill bit brad cook or my like i say my predecessor is an exploration geologist by trade the the other founder of the company exploration geologist by trade our other chairman was an exploration geologist and we've done a great job through that and grow but there's a balance of how to grow a company organically and through m a and whatever makes sense and bruner was opportunistic and I mean, obviously, Pitri has a lot higher price. It's $70 million compared to $10 million and an NSR that we put on the project. But Pitteria was considered a ground jewel in our space uh, back in the 2010s and stuff. And ultimately, with what's happened at Silver Standard, changing the name to SSR and then merging with Alistair and kind of changing their direction from being a silver company to a gold company, 
and then else are exasperating that and then rationalizing their assets. When Pizzeria became available for us to acquire, again, it was opportunistic where it was, it was a no-brainer for us that you've got an asset here that's defined 525 million ounces um, in half the deposit, which is 47% of the metal, uh, in a location where we have our exploration office in Durango, which is 180 kilometers away, and our exploration team's there, and quite excited about what the potential is beyond that 525 million ounces, what's around it. And then even if you look at the history of SSR, they put a feasibility study out on an open pit resource, effectively kind of a super pit, uh, which in, takes and encapsulates the 525 million ounces. But in 2009, they actually did an underground pre-feasibility study looking at the high-grade veins, and that's what we do, and that's what we know. And the way we conceptualize Pitaria is, and again, we have to do all the work and go through it, but we conceptualize it as a under, potential underground operation, 3,000 to 4,000 tons per day what we're good at, what we know. So um, Pitheria for us, we think is a substantial acquisition and ultimately could be a beautiful thing in our pipeline behind Terranera. Yeah, yeah. I, I briefly skimmed through the the feasibility, really briefly, like headline numbers yeah. like, that they put out in uh, 2012. And one thing that jumped out obviously is CapEx, $740 million. I'm sure with cost inflation oh. and everything else, like I think that silver price is actually lower now uh, than what they used in the study. So that's, that's a big nugget. It's a really big number. And ultimately, if the study and the history of Pitaria, they made the discovery in 2002, and I believe SSR staked it. Uh, 2009, like I said, they came out with an underground um, operation when silver price was $11. And ultimately, silver we saw go from $12 all the way up to $48 in that time period. They reconceptualized that underground operation to an open pit, super pit, and that's where it came out with $800 million. And in the 2012 range area, people were looking at those big operations, CapEx of 800 million, you're able to fund those $800 million CapExes. Fast forward 10 years, those aren't as conceptually um, given the thumbs up as other operations, so to speak. And it would be difficult to fund an $800 million bill plus inflation since that time. That's why we wanna look at it from a different aspect and look at the underground operation and see if that's doable. And if you look at the 2009 pre-feasibility study, I think their underground initial capex was 285 million. So of course, with inflation, that's going to go up. But at the same time, it's something that's more bite-sized, something that we can do. And again, if we can get Terranera into production, that pizzeria would fit very nicely behind Terranera. If we can get all that development asset there in the pipeline. Um, one thing I noticed is was it somewhat of a lowish grade, meaning like in silver space, like the open pit was only 77.4 grams. Yep. Uh, I think underground was slightly double. Um, yep. Do you, do you see that improving as well, like through drilling? Like, yeah, what are some the, the levers you can pull there? Yeah, it will be defining that resource around the high-grade veins, more or less, rather than the halo effect. So, can we'll, jump in real quick again. What's high-grade for you? Uh, three hundred gram silver equivalent, okay. effectively. And so, you, but you're right in the fact that the open pit was eighty grams silver, silver. Yeah. but then also there's the lead and zinc in that. So, okay. the high-grade silver under the PFS was about one hundred seventy grams silver, which is forty-seven percent of the economics. 53% through lead and zinc. So ultimately, when you silver equivalent in it, it's just shy of 300 okay. silver equivalent. And then when you talk about scale, 3,000 to 4,000, um, because grade, grade is king, it means a lot. Scale also can help with that. So if you have lower grade operations, you have higher scale, it works from a cost standpoint. Yeah, as I said, I just skimmed through it, and those yeah. are the numbers that jumped out at me. Fantastic. 
Um, so what's the, what's the plan now with the PTRA? Closing the transaction timeline through that, and what what are the next steps for you then? Yeah, the biggest step for PTRA ultimately is closing it, and that's there's an antitrust commission that has to go through Mexico. It's kind of beta complete, needs to be done. That can take anywhere from sixty to one hundred twenty days, so call it ninety days. So there's about three months of that, and then we have an exploration plan again to define it. Will that resource that SSR has? Uh, we have to treat that as historical under Canadian 43-101 regulations, and we'll define that, so we'll put in some holes, twin it, look at assays, look at all the core, and come out with our own resource um, using today's prices. So um, that's the plan for 2022, then see where we get to in 2023, which obviously would be an economic study probably on an underground if everything proves out. Yeah, let's just talk about like one of the last questions maybe is like the challenges for 2022. What do you see as one of the biggest challenges for you? The biggest challenge that we talk about internally is cost control right now from an operation standpoint. Uh, we want to make sure we hit our guidance like we have in the last couple of years. And cost control is something that's in our control, but also out of control because of an inflation factor. And ultimately, people ask me about inflation. And I go, look, we're in the right space. If inflation starts to run significantly more, silver and gold sh- prices should adjust. Of course, we're, the natural, we're in the natural hedge there. Yeah. Things don't work always extremely efficiently. It could take a little bit more time, but it naturally will. Um, so that's from an operation standpoint. Uh, Terranera is the other challenge and making sure we can get through this financing and get into that production or development decision. And then obviously, as we talked about early on, it's maintaining timeline and costs as best we can. So costs is key. Um, and then uh, if we can deliver and, and stay on time, deliver on our production, deliver on our timeline con- for construction of Terranera, I think we'll be fine. Fantastic. Yeah. So next news flow and next big news item should be financing package. Uh, financing package. Financials come out in March as well. Okay. Um, I, as an accountant, I still believe in that stuff. And <laughs> I, I think it's important. And we'll have expiration results coming out on Perel and Bolognitos, Guanacivi and, and, and Terranera as well in the first half of this year. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. You'll, you'll be busy. You got your hands full. So I'm going to let you go. It was Thank a fantastic you. conversation. I really appreciate you coming in the studio. No, I, I, thanks for having me. I know I can kind of go on and on for a certain time. So, but I think you had great questions, good time, and I hope to come back one day. Yeah, with a producer, we could just go, jump down so many rabbit holes, right? So there's so many lots things to, to talk about, lots to talk about all the time. Fantastic. It's a, it's a nice change of pace because with explorers, what are you going to ask? Like, what's the budget for the years? Always the same questions. Yeah. Right? So with producer, you can. There's always something to talk about. Exactly. Like I say, I'm happy to come back and we can. I'd love to have you back on. It would be great. Yeah. yeah. Look Appreciate at any it. avenue that you want. Thank you. Thanks so much, Dan. Thanks for coming in. And uh, everybody else, let me switch cameras real quick here. And uh, thanks for joining us here for SF Live, episode 234. We were joined by Dan Dixon. He's the CEO of Endeavor Silver. And uh, they opened up. Like they, he, We talked inflation, inflation pressures, cost controls, M&A activity, of course, and uh, the, the plans for this year. And uh, we talked guidance as well. Thanks so much for joining us. Follow us on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter. Hit the like and subscribe button and uh, share the video. Thanks so much.